0: We are in Matthew chapter 7, looking at verses 7 to 12, which Kathy read for us. Uh, Max Lucado, in one of his books, tells this story. He writes, I came across a sad story this past week, a story about a honeymoon disaster. The newlyweds arrived at the hotel in the wee hours with high hopes. They'd reserved a large room with romantic amenities. That's not what they found. Seems the room was pretty skimpy. The tiny room had no view, no flowers, a cramped bathroom, and worst of all, no bed. Just a fold-out sofa with a lumpy mattress and sagging springs. It wasn't what they hoped for. Consequently, neither was the night. The next morning, the sore-necked groom stormed down to the manager's desk and ventilated his anger. After listening patiently for a few minutes, the clerk asked, Did you open the door in your room? Well, the groom admitted he hadn't, and he returned to the suite, opened the door that he thought was a closet, and there, complete with fruit fruit basket and chocolates, was a spacious bedroom. Sigh. (laughs) Can't you just see them standing in the doorway of the room they'd overlooked? Oh, it would have been so nice. A comfortable bed instead of lumpy sofa, a curtain-framed window instead of a blank wall. A fresh breeze in place of stuffy air. An elaborate restroom, not a tight toilet. But they'd missed it. How sad. Cramped, cranky, and uncomfortable, while comfort was a door away. They missed it because they thought the door was a closet. Why didn't you try, I was asking as I read the piece. Get curious. Check it out. Give it a shot. Take a look. Why did you just assume the door led nowhere? And I think that's what Jesus is prodding us about in today's passage. Have you tried the door? Ask, Jesus urges. And ask here is in the present tense, which in the Greek has a continuous sense. Keep on asking. Make it a habit of asking. Be about the business of asking. Same with seek and knock. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find knock and the door will be open to you and then get this for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks the door will be opened what a promise what an invitation what a spacious suite behind the door as I've been mulling over this passage over the past couple of weeks, it's been striking me what an awesome opportunity there is behind these verses. And the picture that I've had go, um, going through my mind is, is like going to a place like Chuck E. Cheese or a video arcade where, where they sell tokens. And, and all the games in the whole place take tokens, and usually, growing up as a kid, when, when I was fortunate enough to be taken to an arcade like this, I was only given a few tokens uh, by my parents, or maybe I had to buy them myself if I went with my friends. And, and so I really had to think carefully about my priorities right with all these these options, and how was I get, which games You know how was I going to budget out my limited tokens? But here in this passage, it's like we've been given a huge bucket of tokens. More than, than I know what to do with. And I can't take them home. They've got to be used here at the arcade. And, and so what am I going to do with them all? How am I going to spend them? That, that's how I've been thinking about prayer as, a, as I look at this passage. Jesus says, in effect, the Father is offering us a whole bucket of tokens to spend. Yet, we can't just spend them anywhere. After all, where do we find this passage and this promise? Well, it's in the Sermon on the Mount. And what has the Sermon on the Mount been impressing on us over and over again, if if you've been here this past fall and winter, about not being selfish About loving our enemies even, as well as those in need. About seeking first God's kingdom. About not serving money and possessions and chasing after them, but giving God our very best instead. And about not worrying about our daily needs, because God will cover those for us. And so how are we to pray in the Sermon on the Mount? Well, Jesus says, our Pray, our Father in heaven, your name be hallowed, your kingdom come, your will be done. Give us just our daily bread and forgive our debts, our sins, and lead us not into temptation. So here's my point. These tokens in the bucket are to be used in the arcade, which in this case is the Sermon on the Mount. This amazing promise and invitation that Jesus gives us here isn't currency just to do whatever we want with we we can't co-opt the promise for our own purposes and for our own priorities we can't thumb our nose at jesus and say well i don't like your vision very much of god's kingdom i want to live my own life i want to be rich and comfortable and reckless but i'll take your promise that god will give me whatever i want thank you very much We, we can't do that We can't take the tokens out of the arcade and spend them on anything we want. No, this amazing promise that Jesus gives us here pertains to the life that Jesus has been teaching us and inviting us to live in the Sermon on the Mount. But even so, it's an amazing gift. It's the biggest bucket of tokens we've ever been given. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek. And you will find, knock, and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. It's generous. It's spacious. It's full of possibilities. I hesitate even to say that these tokens are only good at the arcade because Jesus is so open-ended here. I can't say they'll work just anywhere because Jesus has been saying so much to us in the Sermon on the Mount already about what God's will is and the sort of life that our Father in Heaven wants for us. So we we can be most confident that the tokens will work within those bounds. But even so, Jesus' promise is so big here and so open-ended, who knows, why not give it a try? <laughs> so I've been walking around this, this past week thinking about this passage And thinking, God, you've given me so much opportunity and possibility here in prayer. Where should I spend all this, all these tokens? What should I ask for? There's so much possibility here. And I hope you go away from our time this morning in this passage feeling the same way. But but as I get into this passage, I want to back us up from the bucket of tokens, from the the amazing suite that's been provided for us behind the cramped entry room door, and I want to focus our attention on the one who gives us the tokens and furnishes the suite. Because this passage is as much about getting to know the one who wants to give us good gifts and invites us to ask him for them, for those good gifts, as this passage is about the gifts themselves. Have you noticed as we've gone through the Sermon on the Mount, especially once we got into chapter six, the theme that's been coming up again and again, almost like a cadence or a refrain of a song. Chapter six, verse four, when your father who sees what is done in secret or then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Chapter 6, verse 6. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Verses 8 and 9. Do not be like the pagans who babble on and on in their prayers. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. Verse 18, again. And your Father... Who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Then down in verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And in verses 31 to 33. So don't worry saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear. For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. All of that leading up to today's passage where Jesus caps it all off with this amazing little parable, verse 9, which of you if your son asks for bread will give him a stone or if he asks for a fish will give him a snake. If you then though you are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him do you hear the refrain in all those verses father father your father our father again and again jesus is pointing us to our father in heaven to his care for us to his concern for us you know i'm always aware that that our human experience of father can get in the way of what jesus is saying here some of us did not have fathers who were present or who cared for us some of us maybe were torn down or disappointed or abused by our fathers that's not the kind of father jesus is talking about here as he acknowledges in verse 11 our human fathers are evil Compared to the good, good father that Jesus is talking about. The father Jesus is pointing our attention to is attentive and caring and wise and loving in the way he treats us. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is pointing our attention again and again to this father. This father who sees us. This father who wants to reward us. This father who knows what we need before we even ask Who will take care of us better than the birds, better than the flowers. Who will give good gifts to his children who ask him. Jesus wants us to know this father. After all, Jesus knows this father, doesn't he? Jesus delights in this father. Jesus trusts this father. Go all the way back in the story of Jesus to where it began. Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist, right at the beginning of his kind of adulthood. And and when Jesus is baptized, heaven is opened, and the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove. And then the Father's voice from heaven says, You are my Son, whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased. And then the Spirit uh, promptly leads Jesus out into the desert where where he's tempted. Jesus is fasting. He's hungry. He hasn't eaten for 40 days. And, And Satan places a tempting thought in Jesus' head. You're God's own son. You could use your power and your privilege to turn even the stones around you into bread to take care of yourself. And how does Jesus respond? It's written, he says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, from the mouth of his father. Jesus is choosing here to trust in the care and the goodness of his father and his father's words rather than looking out for himself. And this is Jesus posture all through his life. To trust the father. To listen to the Father. To obey the Father. To delight in the Father who delights in Him. And the Father takes care of Him, right? Right up to the cross where where Jesus, in, the, in an ultimate act of trust, entrusts His very life to the Father. Not my will, Father, but Yours be done. Father, I share with You, the desire, the, the commitment to save, to redeem the whole world. And, and I trust you if the cross is the only way. And I trust that if I lose my life, I'll find it. If I lay down my life, you will raise me up from the dead and give me new life. Jesus knows what it's like to trust the Father. And Jesus knows that the father is good and so jesus is trying to teach us his followers to know and trust the father as well jesus wants us to know his father you know i I kind of understand this i had a very loving nurturing mother of course, when I was a teenager, I kind of distanced myself from her. I needed my space after all she wasn 't very cool she didn 't really get it she she didn 't know very much at that point. <laughs> but as a young adult, it, it started to dawn on me. <laughs> I started to appreciate her again. I realized that she was really an extraordinary person. She was fun, she was kind of cool she was wise she was certainly loving and supportive. And, and I found myself talking to people about my mom a fair bit. Kind of bragging on my mom. She, I had a great mom. I wished my friends could, could meet my mom. Well, that and much more so is what Jesus is doing here with his father. He loves his father. He respects his father. He thinks his father's awesome. He can't help but tell us about his father. He wants us to get to know his father. In fact, that's why he came. Jesus came so so that we could get to know and be, be reconciled, be made right with his awesome father so that we could enjoy a relationship with the father like Jesus has a relationship with the father. And that's why again and again in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is telling us about his father. He's pointing us to his father. He um pointing us to his father so that through jesus that father can become our father too theologian j.i. packer says in his classic book knowing god what is a christian the question can be answered in many ways but the richest answer i know is that a christian is one who has god for his or her father If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much she makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as her father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls a Christian's worship and prayer and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the Old, is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. That's who Jesus wants us to know. And when we know it, when we know him, it transforms the way we pray and the way we live. Because prayer is not first and foremost about the words we say, but about the person we are saying them to. And that's who Jesus so much wants us to know. Well, so far, so good. We work our way through this passage. We learn about prayer, but but then we get to the last verse and we slam into a question. It's a question I've been wondering about for years. Why in the world does Jesus end his teaching on the Father and on prayer to the Father with the golden rule? So in everything, do unto others what you would have them do unto you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. It seems out of place. I thought we were talking about prayer and how we can come to a good father who gives us good gifts, and now all of a sudden we're talking about how to treat other people. Well, part of the answer is that the golden rule here isn't so much summing up what Jesus said about prayer as it is summing up the whole Sermon on the Mount. Because as we'll see next week, the last part of the sermon, starting in verse 13, is sort of a conclusion, a challenge about what we're going to do with everything we've heard in the sermon. So the golden rule here is sort of Jesus bringing the main content of the sermon to a conclusion and summing it up. Think back to all that, that Jesus said about how we treat our spouses and our enemies and those who mistreat us and those who are needy how we're to handle our money. Jesus sums it all up now with this. He says, in everything, treat others the way you want them to treat you. That pretty well sums it up, right? (laughs) It sums up all that's in God's law and prophets that Jesus has been unpacking for us in the Sermon on the Mount. So, That sort of explains why it comes here. But I still wonder, why does it come so hard on the heels of what Jesus says about prayer? Ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be opened. Ask your good father who delights to give you good gifts. And then boom, do unto others what you'd have them do unto you. Well, you know, it's not just here that Jesus makes this connection where he gives us this big promise to answer our prayers, and then he commands us to love each other. That also occurs in John's gospel. Listen to this, John 14, 14 and 15. We'll put it up on the screen. Jesus says about prayer, maybe, yeah, there it is. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I'll do it. And then in the very next breath, he says, if you love me, keep my commands. Now, I know Jesus doesn't, Tell us to love our neighbor there. But it, it, right. He, rather he says to keep his commands. But hang with me for just a minute. Because a chapter later in John 15. 16 to 17. Jesus says again about prayer. Whatever you ask in my name. The father will give you. And then get this. This is my command. Love each other. Do you hear the pattern? Prayer. Ask and it will be given to you. Then love keep my commands, and here's my command, love each other. Why? Why this connection between prayer and love? We see it in John. We see it in the Sermon on the Mount. I think I finally figured it out. Here it is. As we've been working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, the call to love, to put others before ourselves, to disadvantage ourselves in order to advantage others... to to give even the shirt off our back, to give freely, to lend freely. That call, that challenge to love could leave us anxious, right? It could leave us afraid. It could leave us worried. Unless we have a generous, good father who we can trust to take care of us. In other words, we can't really love without prayer. We can't genuinely love if we're insecure and we're afraid that that we aren't loved and we aren't taking care of ourselves. To truly live the life Jesus is calling us to live, a giving life, a vulnerable life, an open-hearted, open-handed life, to live that kind of life, we need to feel secure. We need to know that we're taken care of. We need to know that we have a good Father Who wants to give us good gifts? We need to know that if we ask, we'll receive. If we seek, we'll find. If we knock, the door will be open to us. And that's exactly what Jesus wants us to know. That we have a good, good Father who invites us to ask and seek and knock and who will freely give us what we need. And once we know this, we're freed up to follow in the way of Jesus. We're freed up to love. We're freed up to live out the Sermon on the Mount. Just like Jesus was freed up to live that way. Freed, Jesus was, to to think about others, to, to give himself for others, to take care of others because he trusted that he had a father who would take care of him. Let me share a story from my own life about this. Growing up, my parents didn't have very much money. Um, I qualified for free lunches at school. I wore hand-me-downs. I didn't get an allowance. I had to find odd jobs here or there to scrape together a few dollars of spending money. And so I was very careful. I was very tight with my money. If I spent it on this, I wouldn't have it for that. So I was not a generous person if in high school I went out for pizza with my friends and it came time to split the check, I didn't want to pay a cent more than I had to. And if I wound up feeling that I did, boy, the resentment would eat at me. And and if I got in a situation where the meal or the movie that we were enjoying or whatever it was that we'd agreed to go to, if it turned out it was going to cost more than I had been led to believe it was going to cost, and I wound up having to pay more, I could be angry about it for days. It would eat at me. I I was stingy. And this came in part from, from growing up with a scarcity mentality. And unfortunately, many of us, we don't live like Jesus calls us to live. And we don't treat others like Jesus calls us to. Because when it comes to loving others and having Jesus' kingdom perspective, we still have a scarcity mentality. We're afraid. We're worried about us. We feel insecure. Well, Jesus is inviting us here to be free from that, to be set free. He's inviting us to learn what what I learned as I grew older, as I got to know God better and as God blessed me with income of my own. And as I began to take risks and trust in God and I saw God providing for me. God began to give me a generous heart. And I began to learn, and I'm still learning it, that God has given me a whole bucket of tokens. (laughs) He's told me, ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. You have a father who delights to give you good gifts. So give freely and you'll receive freely. And so thinking about this passage again, I don't know about you, but but I feel like a kid at an arcade with a bucket full of tokens. And I'm trying to figure out how to spend them all as I pray. I and we, we've been given so much. We've been promised so much. What will we do with it? How will we invest it in in Jesus' purposes and in God's kingdom? So as we close, I want to invite us to spend a couple minutes um, praying some prayers of love. Not, not asking for anything for ourselves, though, of course, you're welcome to do that later, but that's not what this next few minutes is about. Right now, let's think about God's kingdom as we've seen it spelled out in the Sermon on the Mount, which Jesus came to bring and to teach us about, to model for us. And Jesus has invited us and urged us to seek it and to live into it. We've seen that it's an upside-down countercultural kingdom, and that our role in this kingdom is, is to be a counterintuitive community. Or rather, we don't live for ourselves, but instead we do to others what we would have them do to us. And we've been given a whole bucket of tokens to spend to that end. So let's spend some now. God, we pray for the homeless that we'll be serving a couple of times over this next month. And the many, the much brokenness that has led to them being to the place they find themselves God, that somehow through us, through others, that you will offer them the transformation that they need for their life to take a different course.